Amen. He is good all the time. We're going to talk tonight. I hear they're excited out there, aren't they? We're going to talk some more. Philip asked me if last week was part two, and I think it ended up being part two. <laughs> so I went ahead and called this part three, Philip. And uh, it's uh, going to be part three of called and chosen. How many of you know you're called and chosen of the Holy Spirit to do something for the kingdom of God? Amen. Tonight we're going to talk about the baptism of fire. It's amazing Dr. Hawkins was kind of bleeding over into this message tonight and into the one I'm going to preach on Sunday. For Father's Day, I'm going to be sharing, especially out of Malachi chapter 4, about how when the hearts of the fathers are turned back to the children, children to the fathers, there's a revival that happens when that occurs. And we're praying for that to happen nationwide, worldwide, and I believe that God's, that's part of that shaking that the Lord gave me the prophecy about. We'll look very quickly here. In Matthew 20, verse 16, it says there, So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. How many of you all feel like you're chosen? I'll tell you what, not many are chosen. A lot of people are called. You know, when I was a basketball coach, when I was in Nashville, the principal told me, you can't cut anybody. In other words, you can't say you're not on the team. You know, when you go out for the team, I went out for the team. I didn't make the team in the eighth grade. That was a football coach trying to be a basketball coach, and I was a really good player. But they had like 75 kids out for the team. So you didn't get to showcase much. You just ran up and down the court a little bit, and he chose mostly the kids that he already knew. It was kind of unfair. But the next year, I was the sixth man on the ninth grade team. And then I started as a sophomore on the JV, and then as a junior, they sent me down to the JV team to play and sit on the bench for the varsity. But you had to be chosen. You had to be picked. But Dr. Armstrong in Nashville at Highland Heights Middle School, he wouldn't let me cut anybody. I had 7th and 8th graders. I had like 125 kids out there. I was thinking, Lord have mercy, how on earth can I form a team out of this bunch and I can't tell some of them they need to go home. He told me this. He said, now, Mr. McAnulty, he said, you don't cut them, let them cut themselves. And there's some wisdom in that. And so I learned something. And if you run kids enough and then you take the ones that seem to be a little better and have them on the court more, then some of the kids get tired of just sitting in the bleachers waiting for their turn, and they went ahead and quit. So a whole bunch of them quit after about the second day of running sprints. You know, that's about all we did was run. And so a bunch of them decided, I don't like this running stuff. Well, you know what? You can't like basketball if you don't like to run. I mean, basketball is all about running up and down the court. So a bunch of them just cut themselves. And I saw the wisdom in Dr. Armstrong's way of doing things. But many are called. We put out a call, 150 kids turned out. And then after about a week, I had about 25 left, you know, to deal with. And he said, if they want to all sit in the bleachers, 
you know, and you only give the top 15 a uniform, you know. But he said, don't you cut them. Let them cut themselves. But that's, that's kind of the truth. You've got to have some tenacity. You've got to have some deliberate uh, opportunity to make your mark. And you've got to take advantage of it when you can. And so you've got to play hard. You've got to work hard. Same thing in the kingdom of God. God doesn't choose always the most talented. You know, I led worship for a year. Couldn't remember the words. But God chose me for that year. And I led worship and assembly God church. And they put up with me so that I could do the other things. See, you have to do things sometimes you don't feel the most equipped for. And it takes, it takes really keeping your nose to the grindstone, so to speak. But anyway, let's look at some other scriptures. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. In other words, it wasn't the best vocabulary, maybe, or it wasn't the wisest uh, words. It was the testimony of God. It was the power of God. How many of y'all didn't do a lot until the power of God got involved in it? I mean, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but without the power going with that knowledge, not a lot happens or comes out of it. You know, you have to have a, a confidence in the Holy Spirit and in your own testimony so that God will do something in others. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, Paul was making a point. He was saying it's not about all this other stuff. It's about knowing Jesus, who He is, and the fact that He was crucified. Now we know crucifixion wasn't the only thing. A bunch of people got crucified. There was one on each side of Jesus when he got crucified. They were thieves. One went to hell and one went to paradise because he said, remember me. He confessed that he believed he was the Son of God. You know, even one of the soldiers that stood at the bottom of the cross said, surely this must be the Son of God because he had a witness of the power that was around that cross. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. You know, how many people today have a reverence for God to such a degree that they tremble when they get in His presence? You know, and sometimes there's no power, so they don't have anything to tremble about. But I tell you what, when the fire of God gets on somebody, you can't help it. You're going to tremble. And I'm going to tell you something about the baptism of fire. Dr. Hawkins kind of touched on it a little bit. I said, uh-oh, he's going to get in my Wednesday night message. I already had the notes. And then, you know, Sunday, you know what I want to talk about, how the fire comes when the hearts of the fathers are turned to the children. Man, we need the fire of God to present a revival 
that's going to touch this country like it has never had before. And it says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I'll tell you what, when I was preaching down in Mexico, and Lomas is the poorest church that I was in while I was down there, that was one of the missions that Fino has started a church in. And it was the crudest. I mean, it was concrete and nothing fancy. They had some chairs and benches there to sit on. And that was a little bitty building. But they jam-packed about 50 people into that little room. It was, it was something else. And I got up and the Spirit hit me and I began to exhort. And I invited people that needed to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Nineteen people came forward. I thought maybe three would come forward. But 19 of those people came forward and with tears running down their faces accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior that night. It was an awesome demonstration of the love and power of God. There wasn't persuasive words. I had to use a translator. And I don't know what altogether Tino says. I think he shortens my words a little bit, to tell you the truth. I'm not sure he always says what I say altogether, but anyway, it got across. But it says, with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. See, it's not just power. You know the enemy's got power? You know, what Elijah do? He said, okay, let's go out here and we'll see whose uh, God has got greater power. And he watered his sacrifice down. I mean, they cut themselves, they cried, they crawled, they did whatever, trying to get their God to come and do something. But he didn't do anything. The enemy was just stunned in the presence. Those 850 prophets. And Elijah whetted his sacrifice down. Then he asked God to come down. And the fire of God came down out of heaven. Torch that thing. I mean, swallowed up the sacrifice and the water and just left a burnt mark in the dirt. And, uh, you know, then he had the confidence. He went out and tried. I mean, the Bible's gory. It's, it's not just R-rated, it's X-rated. you know. And he chopped their heads off. I mean, he cut their throats. What would you think if you went down in town square, Papa Bluff, and anybody that couldn't get the power to move on their sacrifice got their head chopped off? You'd think that's a terrible thing. They, they all said, though, at the end, Your God is God. Yes, Elijah, your God is the God. It was the prophets of Baal and the Ashtaroth, and Philip prayed about that. And, you know, it's the same idols today. You know, we face something today as a nation because the prophets of Baal, they represented what Jezebel stood for. And in that temple, the Baal prophets worshipped the male sexual organ. And I've said this before, but I want to say it again. A lot of the steeples, they try to put a little cross on top to make it acceptable. But there is a lot of hedonistic culture 
on churches today all around the world. A steeple represents a phallus, the male erected body part when there's sexual tension. That's what the steeple represents. That's a terrible thing. I watched it on a documentary on, uh, I think, which channel was it? I, I don't remember. Anyway, it was on television. They talked all about steeples and how they represented that, just like in the days of Elijah, the Baal prophets. It was all about sex. They had sex on the altars with prostitutes in the temples. And then the Asherah was worshiping the female body part. We're all adults in here, but, you know, it was that part of the woman that received the male part, you know, and they worshiped that. And they had sex on their altars. Well, what are they doing today? You look at some of the rock concerts that they have today. And the women come out with nothing on, practically. And I don't have to call names, but, you know, they come out and they sing songs about being a wrecking ball, and they got a G-string and some little things that cover the woman's breast, you know. And they just make a big to-do about the sexuality factor. It's a sad world because we're right back where we were in Elijah's day. And that's why there's a shaking and a quaking happening today because God is fed up with it. He's fed up with the stand that the world has taken. And this whole thing about gender identity and all that, it's, you know, 6.8% of the United States is considered to be homosexual. 6.8%. And you know, the world wants to make it out that everybody wants to be that way. It's not true. You know, and, and people want to change their genders. Well, that's, they're trying to push it. They're trying to push children into thinking that their, their identity is wrong. Well, you know what? We need to see the delivering hand of God I tell you what, I love people, no matter what their sexual preference is or their sexuality is, because I've seen people delivered, you know. And I stay in touch with Miriam Passmore. She just had a reprinting of her book, and instead of calling it uh, Miriam is Out, this time it's Called and Chosen or something like that. But... She was a practicing lesbian for 20 years. She wore a tuxedo and a top hat and a cane at the Miami Gay Parades. She won Stud of the Year one year for being the manliest woman that's a lesbian. And, uh, you know, she came to our church out of desperation. She became suicidal. And one of my friend's father was a wonderful witness at the Florida Power and Light and kept talking to her about God's love. And then another man there led her in a sinner's prayer. And then he said, you need to go over to Pastor Kevin's church on Old Dixie Highway. And they can help you the rest of the way. 
And she showed up on that Sunday morning, and she was wearing her Florida Power and Light. Uh, she was a security guard. She looked like a man. I mean, that's how she wanted to look. She was trying to change her identity. But you know what? That wasn't God's identity for her. And I want you to hang on to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. If you've got any friends or family members that are dealing with these issues, I won't give up on them if you won't give up on them. And I believe for their deliverance and their restoration to their identity that God has for them. Hallelujah. All they need is a fiery baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to share that just a little bit here in a moment. But God got a hold of Mary and Passmore. She came to the altar, fell out in the Spirit. And if people want to say, well, I don't believe that's really God, well, all I can tell you is she manifested demons. I cast 13 devils out of her that morning, and the last one was a lesbian spirit. And she was set free. Her daughter had to teach her how to put on pantyhose after that and to try to walk in high heels once in a while. But she's tried to be feminine now, and she has preached with Juanita Bynum. She's preached with Paula White. She's been on the 700 Club. She's written this book and rewritten it, and God has used it, and she's seen a lot of people's lives change. And we cast demons out of several other ladies that came to get delivered together while I was still down there. And so we know that God can change and deliver and transform. And that's what we're talking about here. It's by the Spirit and a demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It wasn't any wisdom that I had about it. All I knew was she was manifesting demons and they needed to leave. You don't need a lot of wisdom to know somebody needs deliverance. And you got the power of the Holy Ghost in you, you can do that. Uh, I was talking to uh, Dr. Hawkins at dinner Sunday night, and Zach had told him a lot about me, and I talked to him about the various people that I'd traveled with and so on and that he knew of. He was quite impressed with those people like Brother Summerall and Brother Gorman and different ones that I'd been with. And, and he said, well, who trained you in the prophetic? I said, nobody. The Holy Spirit. I had to learn it on the fly. Now, I've done some prophetic training to help people have it a little bit easier than I did. I've moved in the prophetic, didn't know what it was. You know, I was afraid of it almost because of what you could know and what did I do with it. And uh, yet, God's grace and mercy has been with me and He has used it to change people's lives, you know, to move in that prophetic realm. So, you know, it's a, it's a process that God allows you to go through. And I, I said, that's why I tried to do some trainings for others so that they could flow in it also. But, you know, the Holy Spirit is powerful enough. He's wise enough. He's knowledgeable enough. And He lives inside of you that He can lead you 
to do what you need to do and say what you need to say to help people. Anyway, let's look at Acts chapter 3. This is just preliminary scriptures, really. Acts 3, verses 6 through 8 says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, the world of religion got upset, called him before the court, so to speak. And the evidence of it just basically came out that, well, we know we can tell they've been with Jesus. What a testimony is that? Because they were doing what Jesus did. I think that's what we have to try to do. You have to try to be like Jesus. You need to do what Jesus did. If somebody's sick, why not pray for them to be healed? If somebody has blind eyes, why not pray for their eyes that God will open them? You know, I, I don't question it anymore. If somebody wants prayer for their eyes, I just pray for them. And it seems like it works because the eyes are opened. And so it's an amazing thing. But let's look at Hebrews chapter 6. I want to get over there because this is where I want to get to for the necessity of the fiery baptism. There is a process. The Spirit, we must pass, I have a statement in my notes, we must pass the elementary stage in the Spirit to experience the more. If you're worried about whether you should be baptized or not, you're not going to get very far in the power of God if you're arguing over baptism. I, I get tired. I don't argue. Like some people, they believe in what we call unconditional eternal security. Well, I believe if you're saved and you stay in the Word of God, you're going to be saved and you're going to go to heaven. Some people want to argue and say, well, I, you know, I can talk about somebody being backslid, and they'll say, oh, but once you're saved, you're always saved. Well, if you're in the boat, you're in the boat. But if you get out of the boat and you walk away, you're not in the boat anymore. I'm just a simple man. You know, that's about as simple as I can say it. I'm not trying to navigate theology on this thing. I just know if you're really saved, you're really saved. You know, if you really get into the boat and you get immersed in the Holy Spirit, it's hard to not be saved anymore. So you know what? I don't have to argue with people that want to argue over something like that. I want to ask them, have you ever prayed for somebody and had their blinded eyes opened? Have you ever prayed for somebody and they spoke in other tongues? Well, I don't have to argue about tongues because I speak in tongues every day. I don't have to argue about healing because I've been healed. You're not going to talk me out of believing in healing when I've been healed. A man with a, a debate can never 
or with an argument can never out-debate a man with an experience. When you've had an experience in God, nobody can talk you out of that experience. They can debate theologically with you all day long. I'm not a theologian. I never claim to be one. I do have doctrinal beliefs. But mostly I want to manifest, like Paul said, I just want to have the simple word and see the testimony and the power of God demonstrated. And that's what it's all about. So we have to get past these elementary things that people like to argue over. I'm not going to argue over with you about whether they should be, you know, if once saved, always saved. Hey, if they're saved, they're saved. If they live that way and I can see the fruit, that's how I know they're a, a tree that's planted by the living water. You know, I'm not going to argue over being baptized in water. Uh, some people want to think you can only be baptized in Jesus' name only. Well, I tell you what, Jesus himself said baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Am I going to do it differently than Jesus said? I always say, by the authority of Jesus' name, I baptize you in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That seems to cover it all. It's kind of like worshiping and keeping the Sabbath holy. I had a Seventh-day Adventist guy. They worship on Saturdays, you know. And uh, I had a Seventh-day Adventist guy get upset because my sister-in-law was a K-5 teacher. And she was going by the curriculum that we had, which said it was going over the Ten Commandments saying, you know, to keep the Sabbath holy, you know, and you ought to go to church. And she was saying, you ought to go to church on Sunday. Well, his little girl went home and said, Daddy, we need to go to church on Sunday. But they always went on Saturday. So he came in and complained. He said, now, we worship on Saturday. I said, well, that's cool. I said, we have a Sabbath on Saturday also. We have prayer meeting on Saturday night. That was back when we had so many activities going and I said, we also have services on Sunday, you know. And then I said, on Monday night, we have a power to choose group, and we worship the Lord then, too. That's another Sabbath. I said, on Tuesday, we have miracle service, and we worship on Tuesday night also. And then on Wednesday, we have family night, and we worship in different areas to, in, in that night. Thursday night, I, I think we had ministry school or something going at that time. I said, we worship that night by studying the Word of God. Friday night, 7 to 11, with the youth group, and we worshiped that night by having the teens in. He smiled at me. He said, well, I think I must have my daughter in the right school. <laughs> I said, yeah, I believe that the Sabbath is, we should worship God every day, not just one day out of the week. I said, let's go over and talk to the teacher. So we went over, and I told Loretta, I said, now, they go to church on Saturday, so when you're sharing a curriculum, Tell the children whatever day your family goes to church is a day you need to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And uh, he was satisfied with that, and she was fine with it. And uh, so that was maybe the wisdom of God. But I said, we honor the Sabbath every day of the week. We just have something going with God every day. And so it's a process, you know. But we got to get past those elementary things you know the arguments that people want to put up but let's look at this scripture hebrews 6 therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of christ let us go on to perfection 
Did you know you can go on to, to perfection? Perfection is when you, you don't have to argue over it anymore. Perfect Word of God. Laying aside the foundation of repentance from dead works. In other words, we don't have to get saved over and over and over. I mean, we could have an altar call every Sunday for somebody to be saved. And that's probably not a bad idea, but everybody doesn't have to come up every Sunday to get saved all over again. I'd start to worry about you if you need to be saved every Sunday. What's going on? Are you living a life of sin or what? But you need to be delivered if that's the case. But it goes on and says, Let us go into perfection, laying, uh, not laying again the foundation of repentance for dead works, and of faith toward God. In other words, do you believe in God or not? Do you have faith in God? Well, you shouldn't have to strain a gnat over whether you can believe in God or not. Of the doctrine of baptisms, plural, did you know there's more than one baptism? That's where I kind of want to hit tonight. The first baptism is in water. It's a water grave. It's when you go and you give your testimony before God and you admit that you've died to your old man and you're living in Christ. Then the second baptism that we look at is baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's on the day of Pentecost when they all got together in one accord and boom, the Holy Ghost showed up. Dr. Hawkins talked about that. And the fire of God was on top of everyone and, and they spoke in other languages and it was awesome. You get filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about that again on Sunday. I want to pray for some people that need that to receive it. And then the third baptism is what I call the baptism of suffering. Have any of you suffered at all? Sometimes you suffer because you're enduring hardship in some areas, in some ways. Maybe you've got a loved one that just won't come into the kingdom of God and you suffer and you, you're grieved. And so there is a baptism of suffering that people go through. Sometimes uh, people don't get what they think they ought to get. What's that guy's name that was had cerebral palsy that preached? David Ring. He's been here in Poplar Bluff before at Westwood Baptist. Have you ever watched his testimony online? You need to look it up if you've never seen it. David Ring, he had cerebral palsy, and he's so funny because he uses his disability to help people to understand. And he got saved, I mean truly saved. And yet he's had to suffer having to live with that cerebral palsy. Now, could God have healed him completely? <coughs> of course. <coughs> Excuse me. Have to take a drink. Everybody get out your water. We'll have a little communion together. A little water communion. been a while since I've preached here. So I had to blow out the carburetor, as we say. 
But anyway, sometimes we suffer through things. We endure, but God is still with us. And then another baptism is the baptism of fire. And I tell you what, until you go through that phase, you're probably not going to be able to really light it up in the kingdom of God. I fasted with my wife the first week of 1985. We were youth pastors at Grace United Methodist Church under Vernon and Peggy Kinnear. And if you know of Grace Christian Center out here, Brian and Pam Sharp, that's their parents. That's her parents. That was my pastor at the time. And the Lord was really moving in me. I mean, that's where I started moving in the word of knowledge real strong. Because he went out of town and left the church with me. Uh-oh. You know. And uh, I got all these words of knowledge on a Sunday night. And the power of God hit that place. And a lot of people got healed. And then he came back to town heard all about it. You know, But he was all right with it. But anyway, I was seeking God. I wanted more. And I'd been listening to a lot of tapes on the gift of the Spirit. And I was pressing in. I had that vision on my knees in prayer the fifth day of the year. And three-hour vision on my knees in prayer of the future. of what God still hadn't done it all yet. There's a lot that has to happen. And I believe it's going to happen here before you know it. But anyway, so... I would go out and pray with my uncle, Ralph Kirkman. He used to pastor uh, the Rama Word Christian Center there on NN Highway. But they didn't have it then. He wasn't pastoring anywhere. <coughs> but he lived out in Rumbar. Anybody ever been to Rumbar? Bob, it took you about two minutes to pass through it, didn't it? Or one. <coughs> it's not that big a place. Anyway. He had a trailer out there, and I went out there to pray with him. He had seen angels out at this, about a quarter mile back behind his house at one of those windbreaks where these trees are to break the fields, you know, up so that the wind wouldn't blow all the soil away. And so I wanted to see angels. I was so desperate to see them, and it was three degrees outside that day, 30 below wind chill. You know what? I paid a price to try to see angels. It was pretty awesome, really. And I walked out there. My my teeth were rattling. I was chattering. And it wasn't tongues. It was being terribly cold and chilled to the bone. We got out there that windbreak, Pastor Ken, and, and Uncle Ralph, he says, There they are. He pointed at them. There's one there and there. And I said, Lord, I don't see anything. And I started feeling sorry for myself, and all of a sudden he said, go into those woods. I mean, just like that. I heard this voice in my head. So I went into the woods, and I stopped. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do now? He said, I want you to go deeper. Double meaning. I went deeper into the woods, but he wanted me to go deeper into his word and into the spirit realm. 
<laughs> and when I went deeper, he said, look down. I looked down, and, you know, there's ice and snow. I mean, it was like 15 inches of snow on the ground. I saw that stick there. He said, pick that limb up. I wrestled with it, and when I pulled it away, it had a clump of ice. And underneath that, there were like 40 little Mayflower shoots that were already growing. You know, things grow even in the wintertime, and then in the spring they pop up. Well, these little shoots were under there. He said, that's how your ministry is going to be. That's the Holy Spirit talking to me. He said, you're going to raise up many shoots. And how many have we raised up? 80 in Florida and probably 150, 200 have been through our ministry classes here. We've raised up a few shoots. We've had a few pastors go out of here and started other churches and missionaries and evangelists and so on. So, anyway, here I was experiencing this, and the Holy Spirit said, look up. And I looked up. There's no leaves on the trees, and I see the sun. It's a blue sky day. And I look at the sun. I had to squint, and it looked like, a hand just passed over where the sun was. And all of a sudden, my eyes, I didn't have to squint. I, I looked right at the sun. I saw that round orange ball, and it didn't hurt my eyes. And all of a sudden, I was thinking, man, that didn't even hurt my eyes. And it was like, wham, just like that. It was like a lightning bolt hit me on the top of the head, went all the way through my body, all the way to the ground. It was a fire, and I was on fire, you know, on the inside. And I began to sweat, 30 below wind chill, and I was sweating, Sister Tara, and I couldn't believe it. And, and I was just, I mean, the glory of God to such an extent, I, I'd never experienced anything like it. And we walked back, we got into his house, we began to worship God, and I was on my knees with my hands lifted up, and I felt a hand grab me like I was a little toy soldier. And it bounced me all over the living room on my knees. And I began to laugh. I was shook up so much, I began to laugh hysterically. And I fell out in the spirit, Stephen, and I was laughing, belly laughing. And I laughed for like 20 to 30 minutes, and I looked over at Uncle Ralph, and he was laughing. I mean, he had his head back. He was just laughing. We were both laughing and laughing and laughing until all of a sudden, whew, it just stopped. And I was like numb, you know. I was like, wow. Oh, my goodness. And I believe I had a baptism of fire that day. You have to press into God. Go past the elementary things. Don't argue with people anymore. I'm not going to argue with the Southern Baptist over salvation. Do you believe in Jesus? Are you saved? Okay, I'm saved. We're brothers in the Lord then. Okay, do you believe in the Holy Ghost? Okay, you don't speak in tongues? That's all right. I speak in tongues every day and it'll be all right. Are you still my brother? You're my brother. United Pentecostal? No, I wasn't baptized in Jesus' name only. But I was baptized in the name of Jesus and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I've never been the same since. If you accept me, it's all right. I accept you. 
if you were baptized that way, but you're not going to make me do it your way. I've had an experience in the glory of God that nobody can take away from me, and I will never be the same again, and I will be able to press forward until the day I die, <coughs> believing in everything that book has to say because of it. See, you get that place. Now, I don't know if any of y'all have had that kind of experience with God before, but I'm going to tell you, once you do, you're not going to ever go back. You just won't. There's no room to go back. And that's exactly what he tells us in the book of Hebrews. A lot of people think Paul wrote it. Uh, some people thought Apollos wrote it, and for various reasons, Pastor Ken could tell you more about it, but, you know... Uh, because of who it was written to. You know, Paul always identified himself most of the time, but they say, well, because he was writing to the Hebrews, you know, that it wasn't the same as he did to the Gentiles. I don't know if he wrote it or not. doesn't really matter. You know, it's an awesome book. It's my favorite book in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. But it goes on to say, of doctrines of baptism, once you get past that, and then of laying on of hands. You know, we lay hands on people for healing. We lay hands on people to ordain them in the ministry. We lay hands on people to send them out. You know, the laying on of hands is a powerful thing. And whether people want to believe it or not, I believe there is an impartation when there's a laying on of hands. And a lot of people can receive what you have when you lay hands on them. I think it's why they said don't lay hands on anybody suddenly. We don't want to lay hands on a novice and have them go out and start doing miracles and have it go to their head. Not that we don't want them to move in miracles. We want them to move in miracles with a little bit of understanding. So they need to study and they need to prove themselves. But he goes on and he says of resurrection of the dead. Well, we know the dead in Christ are going to be resurrected one day. In fact, we believe they're going to be resurrected at the trumpet sound, the last trump of God. And the harpezo happens with a catching away of those who are in Christ. Those who are alive and remain will join the dead in the air in Jesus and they'll go forevermore be with him. But it says and of eternal judgment. How many know there's going to be a judgment one day? He's going to judge the good, and he's going to judge the bad. And the good is only going to go in because they know Jesus Christ, not because they tried to be good, or they acted nice, or they helped a little old lady cross the street one day, or something. You know, it's because they serve God. <laughs> for it is impossible for those... And, oh, goes on and says, and this we will do if God permits. You can only go past the elementary things if God permits. You won't operate in a realm that is of the age to come without going through all these things if God permits you to. I think some people get a little too big for their britches, as we used to say. And they think they've arrived already. I think 
You know, it takes some pressing in completely. And when you do, God will do something awesome. It says, for it is impossible. I want you to get a hold of this. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. That's a key right there. Powers of the age to come. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God put him to an open shame. There have been a few people that it's very sad that have had some major scandal in their lives. <clears throat> Not that God won't forgive, but when you have moved in a realm that is so glorious and then you fall back in the ditch of mud and you have to like put Jesus on that cross again you put him to an open shame so you know what we have to have a little bit of fear of God in our lives see because I'm going to tell you it's no joke you don't go and you know there's some in history if you go back and you read about some of the people in history that have moved in the great powers of the age to come and then they fell into some terrible things and they just never could move in it again. There wasn't no room for them to repent. I'm not talking about somebody that fell into uh, a sin a couple of times and they had already began to pray for the sick and stuff like that. We're talking about somebody that gets so messed up in their mind, you know, and I won't call names, but there were those who moved in such power, you know, in the last hundred years that they began to think, one of them thought he was Christ embodied, that he was Jesus. And he began to have people worship him. And then even at Waco, you have this David Koresh trying to tell people he was Jesus, basically reincarnated. You have people that are off. I mean, they've tasted of something so glorious, but then they fall into this trap of believing that they are something that they're not. And they portray that to people. And what a terrible thing it ends up being. Jim Jones. You heard of Jim Jones? They say don't drink the Kool-Aid. Because at Jonestown, over 800 people drank the poison Kool-Aid and died in South America, Guyana, in that country. And you know what? Jim Jones started out, I think he might have been Assembly of God preacher from Illinois, and he got caught up. And he started believing that he could do whatever he wanted to. And he was having all these different women that he was in a relationship with. And they moved their ministry all the way to California. 
And then he started acting like he was Jesus to the people and fell into terrible sin. And then got them all to go. Not everybody went. There are those that can tell the story today because they didn't buy into it. They didn't eat the cookie or drink the Kool-Aid. Some of them tried to escape. Some repented. And it was a horrible thing. Over 800 people. And you wonder, don't you wonder, how can anybody believe something like that, but they become deceived? You know, what do you think Elijah felt when he went up to the Mount Carmel and he had those 850 prophets of Baal and the Asherah? It's because they were deceived in their sin. What do you think about people today? And they think it's all right to have transgender beliefs and that you can be homosexual when God calls it an abomination. You know, it, you, it's, not, it's not holy. It's not righteous behavior. Now, somebody could have flunkied up and had an experience of some kind, and if they repented and they got deliverance from it, they can be saved. And they can live a good life. I remember, what was it, the tough nut pants? Y'all remember that? And the dog had bitten the guy on the rear end. You know, remember those little blue jeans or whatever back when we were kids? And they called them tough nut pants or whatever. The guy that was the model for that advertisement became a homosexual and a transgender and then he ended up getting saved and he went to Christ for the nations where Dutch Sheets is the president today if you watch any of the prophets on YouTube. And he got delivered, transformed, and he had the surgery to reverse what had happened to him. And he got married and had like four kids. It's possible. He was transformed, changed. You see, he didn't know any better then. But it was when he got saved and went to Christ for the nations that God's revelation came upon his life and he wanted to go back to being what God wanted him to be. He became a minister of the gospel. And he was a tough nut gene kid. He was so cute. But that's what made him... He was so cute he couldn't be a boy. He had to be a girl. See? I remember... I was at a ball game, and this little girl, I don't know where she was from, but I was sitting up in the stands, and Zach was there. He wasn't playing on the varsity then. He was on, like, ninth grade. And Zach, you know, when he, he didn't have any facial hair, and he had that curly black hair, you know. And this girl was next to her mom. She said, oh, mom. Mommy, that boy, he's so pretty. He's prettier than the girls. And I said, well, I'll bind that thing in the name of Jesus. God, give that boy some facial hair as soon as you can. I don't want him to be called pretty. You know? See, that's how the devil tries to work. That's how it starts. A little word gets in there. But I'm telling you, we need a fire of God 
baptism to where you can move because God permits you to move into a realm of discovery of the Spirit to where you won't ever go backwards, but you begin to help change other people's lives by your own lifestyle. And I don't even have time to go into Daniel. I was going to go into the book of Daniel. But uh, maybe real quickly, can, can I have about five more minutes? Daniel chapter 1 and verse 3 through 7. The king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles. Young men. See, they had been brought captive from Israel to the Babylonian empire. And so the young men in whom there was no blemish. Think about this. What did I tell you about the little tough nut James kid? I think it was tough nut or was it called something else? Anyway. But good looking. Gifted in all wisdom. Possessing knowledge and quick to understand. Who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. See, they tried to feed them the king's delicacies, is what the next verses will tell you, and have them drink the wine from his table. But what do we see? We see Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which he changed their names. See, the enemy tries to change your name. He tries to change your identity, if he can. To them, the chief of eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. That's where we get those young men who were leaders. But what does the next verse say? And I'll probably have to stop here for tonight. But it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the chief eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And so what did he do? He ate vegetables. He ate healthy he would not eat the king's food. Randy, he wouldn't have gone to Parker's with us and ate the buffet. You know? But, uh, you know, he would not defile himself with what the king offered. See, a little leaven leavens a whole loaf, is what the Word of God says. Oh, a little bit of wine won't hurt you. Yeah, let's just sit down, let's take a drink. I'm going to ask Randy. He can answer this question. And AA, can alcoholics go out and have a beer? Bob's shaking his head no. No? Because you take one, one is not enough. You have to have about 24. Yeah. I remember when Austin Montag used to call me at my house in South Florida. He'd be drinking. Terry would not let him drink in the house. So he had a shed, a little garage. And he had to take his beer out to the shed. And he would have on the radio on 
and I came on that radio station for 30 minutes right after uh, James Dobson's Focus on the Family. And Austin would listen to me, and at the end of my program, he would call me off and say, Oh, Kevin, I just love you, man. You're so great. I just listened to you on the radio. Would you pray for me? You know what? I would. I'd pray, God, let Austin be free. Let Austin have healing. Let Austin be a great man of God one day. Then on one of my trips here, I laid hands on him. He fell out in the spirit and vibrated on the floor for about 30 minutes, red as a beet, because the fire of God was on him. He had a baptism of fire at First Assembly of God Church when I preached a revival in 2000. Out there is my second trip. wasn't the first one. It was the second time I came back with Steve Murphy. And I laid hands on him. And God delivered him. And he's had a great ministry. I mean, he served on the governor's committee for alcohol and substance abuse. And he's led, he led that group out at Rumbar for many years. Helped me with Power to Choose for a while. Yeah, he's a licensed minister in our fellowship. You know, I mean, it's just amazing what God will do when he gets you filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. Hallelujah. Yeah. You see, you cannot partake off the king's, the worldly king's table. You can't mix it. You'll be contaminated. And that's what he's saying. Once you get past these elementary things into that realm, guess what? You can move in the power of God. That's why when I go to Mexico and places, I'm not just Pastor Kevin, see. You can come, chit-chat with me, go to lunch with me. No, I walk in that place and they, man, they're afraid. They're fearful. They're reverent to the power of God that operates. And I can just stand in front of somebody there and just raise my hand. They'll start crying like a baby and fall on the floor. You know? I was like, what? It's God. See, he will let you operate at a level that is more than you could ever imagine because you've given yourself to him to that degree. You won't have many arguments. You know what, my wife and I, we don't argue over anything other than where you want to eat. Well, I don't know, where you want to eat. Our argument's about where we're going to go eat. You know? So your life changes when you go to that place. You're not thinking of the carnal things too much. Anyway, stand with me. We'll come back to this maybe next week. You want to dig deeper? All right, well, let's dig deeper next week. We'll dig down into Daniel some more, and we'll find out what it takes. And next Wednesday, I'll lay hands on you with help for you to receive a baptism of fire like you've never had before and press in to the glory of God. Everybody lift your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We ask you to touch everyone's heart and life. Let them be different in Jesus' name. Let them go forth and be mighty men and women of God.
and make a difference in so many people's lives. And we thank you for it. Amen. Glory.